It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jake Sanderson, and you're listening to Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators Podcast. Welcome inside episode 350 of the Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Piller up in Collingwood. Today's episode is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Download the app and join Pilsy and I this Saturday morning, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. to get in on the conversation. It's interactive radio, Spotify Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. Well, Pilsy, it's a Friday edition of the show, and we've got lots of rumors to get into. Not only rumors, but trades that have already happened. Yeah, it's kind of strange. Trades during the Stanley Cup final. Los Angeles adds a skilled winger and doesn't have to give up much. Does that set the tone for trading in the offseason? What's going to happen to this Ottawa roster? I'll get Pilsy's take on all that before we head back in to our draft rankings. Into the mid-50s now, and we got lots of defensemen to get through here, and that just kind of exemplifies this draft is full of them. So we'll get previews on four of our draft profiles. And Stanley Cup Final moves up to Canada. Game three tonight. This is the Locked On Senators podcast. Your team every day. Today is Friday, July 2nd. And Pilsy, where were you 11 years ago today? when the Ottawa Senators signed Sergei Gonchar. I was celebrating in the streets, Ross. (laughs) Just like you, I thought that was the missing piece to this team and that was going to bring them Stanley Cup glory, but didn't quite work out that way. Love them or hate them, Facebook memories are always good for a laugh. And I had one come up this morning. I tweeted it out. Uh, It said, two words, Sergei Gonchar. Two more words, Stanley Cup. And I would say that age poorly? Yeah, just a little. Although, hey, let's not take anything away from Sergei Gonchar. I loved him with the Sens, to be totally honest. Yeah, I've got a signed jersey of his in the, in the closet, funny enough. But he did seem to be what Ottawa needed, a guy who Brian Murray brought in as an, a guy who'd been around offensive defenseman and could help Eric Carlson develop into the next step in his career. Now, defensively, was Sergei Gonchar at his best in Ottawa? No. But he was coming off a Stanley Cup win with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So. It was a good risk, I think, by Brian Murray at the time. And that was the offseason after bringing in Alexei Kovalev. It seems long days ago that Ottawa was out there trying to get their hands on important free agents. So they're likely going to have to go the route of the trade. And we saw a trade yesterday. I mentioned off the top. It was Victor Arvidsson going from Nashville to Los Angeles, a team with some parallels to Ottawa in terms of their rebuild calendar. Pilsy, what was your initial thought? Second rounder in 2021 and a third rounder next season as well. Pretty good trade, if you ask me, for both sides. Uh, Nashville needed to clear up some space. Uh, That team is really up against the cap, especially with that tourist buyout. That really cost them a lot, so they needed to clear some cap room. Do they still have Duchesne at eight and Johansson at eight? 
Yep. Okay, they still have work to do that. <laughs> yeah, they got work to do. But And if you're the LA Kings, what a prime opportunity to get a guy who's been a notable goal scorer on a team-friendly deal for a couple more years. He, he's probably one of the LA Kings' best wingers at this point. Like, And they got him for a second-round pick this year and a third-round pick next year. That's pretty good value if you're the Kings. And initially, the first thing I thought is LA is trying to make it clear they're they're not really going to do a slow rebuild here like they're going to try to add pieces like if you're a team like LA you'd be thinking you're holding on to those draft picks at all at all costs because that's what your capital that's what your development is all surrounded by but they want to get some talented wingers so that they can eventually bring in some better players my first thought and you guys know I made the argument that I think a great landing spot for Jack Eichel would be in LA. They have a bunch of center prospects that they can flip to Buffalo so that they can make room for Jack Eichel on their team and that Buffalo can at least say, hey, we may have lost one of the best centermen in franchise history, but we're getting some young guys back that we hope can develop into good centermen as well. But Jack Eichel is going to want some scoring at his side in LA. There wasn't a lot of scoring touch there. So Arvidsson could be a piece that helps attract more guys to come to LA because I think... They want to make the most of Quick and Doughty's contract there. Like they want to make sure that they're those guys aren't just wasting away because they're still talented guys. So interesting move for the Kings. A two-time 30-plus goal scorer is Victor Arvidsson. However, he's had a bit of trouble staying healthy. He's now three years removed from that 34-goal season in 2018-19. And even in that season, still didn't play 60 games. He hasn't reached that plateau since the 2017-18 season. He's had some injury trouble. He's a smaller player, but when this guy's on, he's electric. He's creative. He can get to the net for a smaller player, and I think he fits in really well to what Los Angeles is trying to do. This is a team that's lost goal scoring over the past couple of years, as the rebuild would, but Tyler Toffoli most notably moving on. They get prospects for him, and I would say Victor Arvidsson, production-wise, is a pretty similar add to a guy like Toffoli, again, with the caveat, when he's healthy. I would agree. So I think that's great for LA. They got Quentin Byfield coming up here. They, they've got a lot of good prospects that are going to develop. And Victor Arvidsson, he's not that old either. What is he, like 27, 28, right around there? So he, he's got time to continue to be a great player. So And then if you're Nashville, I, I don't know what that team's doing, Ross. Like They've got so much money tied up, like you said, in Duchesne and Johansson. Um, it seems like they're going to re-up Ekholm instead of trading him now. But that's a team that struggles to score and they just traded away potentially yeah. a really good goal scorer. Yeah, they still have one of the best goalies in the league, which I feel like we've said for a decade plus, but Pecorine passed that baton to Jusei Saros and he's carried the mail. They still have a solid decor. Ryan Ellis is still there. Yo- Yossi is one of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League, but you're right for a team that has underwhelmed offensively. They had the pieces on paper, but it just hasn't worked out. You wonder a curious move. Not only that, but did you see Philip Forsberg threw the big thumbs down on his Instagram story? So is he now wanting out? Because that's a player who would draw a league-wide interest. But let's get in more so to the price. Like, what do you think Ottawa could do with that sort of payment going the other way, a second and a third? Ottawa with 10 draft picks in 2020, they don't need to use all of the six that they have this year. No fourth, no fifth, but two seconds. So – I, I don't know. I, I think that they could be onto something here, maybe moving a second and a third and getting back a, a real impact player. Yeah, I would have no problem with that. The, the only problem I guess I would have with that, uh, if I could take back those words, is 
the guys that Pierre Dorian seems to target are not Victor mm-hmm. Arvidsson type guys. It's Derek Stepan. It's and hey, I'm still cheering for Matt Murray, but man, that was a risky decision going to acquire a goalie who has injury problems and had the worst year of his entire career. So Pierre Dorian doesn't really roll the dice in the same way as that. Although the same could be said for Arvidsson, like you mentioned, uh, very injury prone and has had some down years, but I think everyone's had down years over in Nashville lately. So I, I, but I would be down to try to get, you know, a top, top nine scoring winger. That's who Dadnov's supposed to be. Dadnov's supposed to be a top six, top power play scoring winger. And that just hasn't worked out. So we'll see if Dorian does decide to go that route, but unless the right opportunity comes along, I don't think they, they need to be desperate to make that type of move. To me, the only need, need, need that has to happen this offseason is to find a partner for Thomas Shabbat and have Zaitsev slide down to that third pair. Then you're, you're laughing because Zaitsev will still be on the first PK unit. He'll get his minutes, but you need another right-hand defenseman who can slide in there and make Shabbat's job that much easier because we saw it. Shabbat was worn down at different points this season, and it's not from playing a lot. He's done that his whole life, but it's doing the extra work on his shifts and I noticed, and I'm sure many Sens fans would as well, that his shifts were long this year. Like, How many times did he get caught out there or he'd go off for a minute and he'd hop right back out? If you have a secondary guy, and yes, eventually Jake Sanderson could be that guy. We saw Branstrom ice time skyrocket after the trade deadline. But they need a guy right now who can come in and play 22, 24 minutes and be a positive impact player for those minutes. Now, this guy is not that. But Duncan Keith now wants a trade. He's got two years left at way too much money for what he's uh, producing at this point. Although he's got the pedigree, he's known as a, a workout freak in the gym, so he can be a good mentor to younger players. Sounds like he wants to go to Western Canada. His ex-wife is there with his son, so he wants to be closer to his son. Where do you think fits best, whether it's Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, or could this be a perfect place, Seattle? I, I don't know. It's really interesting when you start looking at those teams because Vancouver, I don't, I don't know where that team's at in their development, right? Like, do they need to rebuild a little more? Are they ready to try to make a push to be a playoff contender? I'm not really sure. So I don't know if it makes sense to go and acquire a 38-year-old who's still making five and a half mil. Although they're the team that has bad contracts they want to get rid of. So it could be a situation where it's like, take Louis Erickson off our hands and then we can talk. So I don't think Duncan Keith at this point in his career is bringing back value, but he certainly has it between his ears, right? Like this guy has won three Stanley Cups. He's won Olympic gold medals. Like this is a guy who you want to be a leader. And if you're a team that's in a bit of an identity crisis like Vancouver, I know a lot of fans are like, oh, we already have Tyler Myers. Like like we don't need another overpaid defenseman. But this is a culture guy I think that you can bring in in Duncan Keith. And I, I see that. Like, that makes sense. Like, maybe if you're the Canucks, you're like, we're not looking to compete right away, but we need a guy that can kind of reset the culture and kind of steady things. So Duncan Keith would be a perfect example. But as far as their bad contracts, Ross, I think that's something that we thought about two years ago, right? Like, Jay Beagle only has one year left on his deal. Furland, that's a tough one. He has two years left. And Louis Erickson only has one year left as well. So it's not like uh, those are long extended contracts that they need to figure out. So I think from that point, they're all right. And also, if you look at, uh, this is something I always look at, the dead cap, the recapture penalty for Luongo, 
this is the final year. It's still at 3 million, which is wild that the Canucks got hit with that. But this is the final year of it. So they're almost over that hump. But I think maybe, yeah, you're onto something with Duncan Keith going there. I think Seattle, he could be a good leader that just kind of sets the culture for you, like we talked about for the first two years, because you're, I don't think they're going to have the same aspirations as Vegas to try to win it all in the first year. I think they're going to do a slower kind of burn to it because other teams know to smarten up for the expansion draft. And then you start looking at Calgary. They might be losing Giordano, so maybe they're trying to look for a guy to replace Giordano, an older, veteran, steady guy that can that can play minutes for you, but he's not going to be super effective. So maybe that's a backup plan if Giordano leaves. And then the Edmonton Oilers, it sounds like they're going to try to re-sign Adam Larson. So if they end up re-signing Adam Larson, then I don't really see the budget and where uh, Duncan Keith is going to fit, especially with Clefbaum. He should be back from his injury, so that decor is going to be kind of filled out at that point. So I don't see the fit there. So I would say, yeah, really the best options are Vancouver and Seattle, if that's the kind of route they're going for. He's in the final two years of a 13-year, $72 million contract, which is just wow. Signed that right after winning the Stanley Cup for the first time. I'd say they got their money's worth, wouldn't you? With two extra (laughs) Stanley Cups in there as well. But my point being, his cap hit is 5.53, Pilsy, but he's only making... 2.1 million this year and 1.5. I don't know what kind of gymnastics Melnick would try to do to prove that Ottawa's actually on the West Coast to make that happen, but that's pretty pretty good value. I mean, for the salary that you're actually paying if you can fit him under the cap. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I don't think the salary isn't as terrible as people think. Even the cap hit, like 5.5, don't get me wrong. Like, that's not a cap hit that Duncan Keith is worth, but you can make that work. And especially maybe Chicago retains a little salary if they get a good deal in return. I don't really know how that's going to work out, but yeah, the Duncan Keith move is definitely interesting. It's going to be weird to see that guy in anything but a Blackhawks or team Canada Jersey. Yeah. Well said. And you mentioned Mark Giordano's name. I didn't realize you're right. He's in the final year of his contract does have a 12 team. No trade clause so we'll see where that ends up with calgary needing to make changes plenty of changes throughout this entire offseason and we'll be all over each and every move right here on the locked on senators podcast you can subscribe wherever you download your podcasts and you can follow us on twitter as well at sends central Gil Martin here, host of the Locked On NHL podcast. Join me every Monday for the three biggest stories from across the NHL, including how newly traded players are fitting in around the league. Check out the Locked On NHL podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Pilsy, before we get back into our draft rankings, we're into the 50s now on today's list, but did you see yesterday, that's the day where all signing bonuses are paid out across the National Hockey League and Ottawa only only handing out signing bonuses to their players on entry-level deals. What do they get, 40000 or 92000 every year for that? A little bit different down the 401 in Toronto. It is insane the amount of money that MLSE had to fork out yesterday, Ross. And it's, it's so funny to look at it. Like, here's all the Leafs signing bonuses given out yesterday. Matthews, 9.7 mil. I wonder what he did yesterday. He must have had a great day seeing 9.7 mil show up in your bank account. Tavares, 
8.4 mil, Marner, 9.6 mil, Nylander, 3.5 mil, Kerfoot, 1.95 mil, Muzzin, 5.5 mil, and Riley, 2 mil. That's almost $40 million given out yesterday in real money. And I, I think Melnick, I don't know what Melnick would do if he had to shell that out in signing bonuses in one day. It would be a real tough day. But Good, good on those Leafs players. I mean, that's that's great big lump sums they're getting, but I just can't. It's wild that they're able to pull that off. It's yeah, I don't even know what to say. Like, good, good on them, right? The only thing they've ever won in their career so far is those contract negotiations. So I hope they enjoy it to to its absolute fullest. Hey, did you hear that the Islanders went to Game Seven of the Conference Final? Uh, meanwhile, Leafs still looking for their first playoff victory on high definition television but hey the draft brings hope to every franchise and that's why we find it important to go through our top 75 so that you have your best handle on it when the big weekend comes july 23rd i'm heading up to collingwood we're going to do a live episode right after the first round of the draft and that is sneaking up in a hurry pillsy it is exactly three weeks today three weeks 21 days and we'll know who the sends draft at number 10. We're not there yet, Pilsy. Today, we start our countdown all the way down at number 59 with center Brett Harrison of Oshawa and Kuvi, who went over to play in Finland as the OHL didn't start up this season. First off, right off the bat, Kuvi just sounds like a fun place to play. Hey, I'm heading over to play in Kuvi for a season. Just like the Red Blacks, all capital letters for their name. Yeah, there you go. They really want to make sure you know you're in Kuvi. You're nowhere else but Kuvi, Finland. And yeah, so he, like you said, played for the Generals, 37 points in 58 games in his rookie season in 2019. Then he was playing that Kuvi is in the U20 Junior League in Finland. He had nine points in seven games, not too shabby. And this is a guy I have mixed reviews about Ross because he's a shoot first center, which if you guys follow along the show, you know, I love that. Like Josh Norris shoot first guy. That's what I want to see from centers. But sometimes with Brett Harrison, it's to a fault. Like he's constant. All he's doing is trying to put himself in a position to accept a pass for a quick shot. And that can be okay, but it's like, I, I forget which prospect it was, Ross, but you were saying that all he really seems to be able to do is get into a position to score and he doesn't do much else, which sounds like a good thing. But then if you're a centerman, there's so many other things you need to be able to do to play effectively. So luckily he has the size to do that. Six foot two, 185 pounds. He can clear space in front of the net so that he can get open in the high slot. But other than that, I don't see a whole lot from this guy. Most of his goals are just wrist shots from the high slot. I don't see him, you know, making good plays, deking out the goalie, uh, anything like that. It's just kind of shot on net when you get the opportunity. From that, it sounds like he might not get more than three stars on your rankings. Yeah, he was actually a two-star ranking guy for me, Ross. And uh, it's it's just, I don't see too many positive reviews on Harrison. Like everywhere I, I read is just kind of, meh takes on him and he's not a very good skater I just I don't see a lot of upside here and I think he would be a guy that would lean on line mates way too much like he's not a guy that's going to be driving the play forward himself he's going to be a part of a line where they bring the puck up ice and he makes himself open for a shot and I don't, I don't think there's enough upside there I didn't see any other good qualities so 
for me, Brett Harrison is a two out of five stars. Yeah, I'm going to join you on that one. His stride looks choppy per Scott Wheeler. Occasionally breaks down, but does generate decent power in that. He also, I'd give him credit, he's got a great ability from the highlights I watch to kind of keep guys off him, right? He can hold onto the puck and protect it well. However, how well will that work at the next level is the big question. As per his shot, Wheeler says he's got a multi-dimensional one with the ability to score with his one-timer, slap shot, generate power off his backhand, curl and drag, or use his frame and lean in to a snapshot. He's a bigger body too, Pilsy. We do have to give him some credit there. I mean, yesterday we had um, Justin Robita, who is not uh, as large, whereas Brett Harrison's like six foot two, six three, that style. So we'll give him some time to grow into his frame and see if he can improve that skating, but Right now, I think he's a guy that the Senators should stay away from. The, the kind of X factor here I mentioned on yesterday's show is you know that relationships in hockey run deep. And even though DJ Smith hasn't been the coach in Oshawa for the last five years since the Memorial Cup, he got hired on to Mike Babcock's staff right after, you know he still has ties within the organization and he's going to get a scouting report one way or another on this player. So I wonder if that could maybe play a role in where the Sens decide to go if they do use a pick on Brett Harrison. <laughs> yeah, Ross, DJ Smith's going to be banging on the laptop in the Zoom yep. uh, the Zoom conference meeting in that third round saying, we got to take an Oshawa Generals player. Oh, my God. Let's hope not for the sake of it. And, and hey, he might not even be there. His average ranking was 59.4. But the reason why is Bob McKenzie had him all the way up at 33. Tony Ferrari at 44. Scouching at 51. And Wheeler at 53. And then the final three drop off heavily. Corey Promen at 66, McKean's at 84, and the EP draft guide had him all the way down at 85th overall. But he's 59 on our draft rankings as we move up to the defending portion of the countdown. It's Artyom Grushnikov. If you like simple defenders who go D to D and off the glass, I feel like I've said that a lot recently, but Grushnikov is for you. He's been playing above his age group for his entire life. So he's big. He's, I, I would say, more mean than, than he might get credit for. But I saw him lay a few really nice hits in, uh, in the highlights that I was watching. But what are your thoughts? It's an interesting situation too, right? He had been playing in Russia his entire life, wants to come over to the OHL, and then ends up sitting out the entirety of last season. Yeah, that's that's tough for for him and uh, a lot of other hockey players that had the similar situation where they're in the OHL and they didn't get to get started. But he is going to hopefully playing with the Bulldogs this season when they get started. And yeah, like you said, he's a defensive defenseman. Like this is uh, your classic Russian defender. He's a left hand shot, six foot two, hundred and seventy four pounds, so decent size. Not a lot of weight there though, a eh? Ross for a guy who's six foot two, only one hundred and seventy four pounds. Like we were talking about. Uh, uh Oliver Kapanen wasn't he like or was it Robida one of those guys was like five foot seven but 175 pounds like Robida yeah I think it was Robida so you got what's I'm not a math guy you got a bunch of inches on him and you're the same weight so that's interesting for a shutdown guy but what he's able to do is from uh the reviews I read was he has good positioning he's able to keep attackers wide which I like I like when the defensemen they just have that simple aspect of their game being like if I keep a guy wide more often than not it's going to limit his chances and that's a good start to uh having a an attacker enter the zone is just keep him wide 
He, but he can also make a good first pass, what it seems yeah, like. is His transition game, he can make that good first pass to get the puck out of his zone. Other than that, you're not seeing a whole lot of offense from him other than just transitioning the puck up ice. And for me, the concern was, Ross, I wasn't able to find a whole lot of info on uh, Grishnikov because he wasn't ranked by EP and he wasn't ranked by Scott Wheeler. And those are usually my top two sources. So I think... He's, he seems like a decent defender, but if it came down to it, I'd be more confident in the Sens selecting a guy that we talked about yesterday in uh, Kirsanov, right? Like, I feel yeah. like he had more more positive reviews, higher rankings, and seemed more well-known. So that's kind of where I lean with Grushnikov here. Yeah, I mean, with Kirsanov, just the discrepancy from Prahman having him 16th to Ferrari 96, like, that's, that's wild. That's yeah. insane. Whereas for Grushnikov, Pronman has him the highest, much like he has Kirsanov. So he likes the Russian defenseman, no doubt about that. He has him at 44, whereas McKenzie has him at 68. Ferrari at 76. But, oh, scouting at 47. How about that? So maybe the analytics do well for him. That, that to me is interesting when a defensive defenseman does well analytically because sometimes, you know, they're known as being prone for a turnover here and there. But he seems like a guy who could play with more skilled players like would do a good job complimenting those guys and knowing his role kind of you know the classic sends would be the method to eric carlson and that sort of thing not not the philip kuba to eric carlson but to that note like mark method did a great job there and i think grushnikov can grow into that type of steady reliable defenseman land some crushing hits like i said um one thing about him is that he's played on the power play at different levels that ain't it at the nhl level this guy is going to block shots on the pk be physical defensively, and get the puck to his teammates breaking out of the zone. It's really unfortunate he wasn't able to play at all this year. So we'll see how that affects him. Either more time in the gym to get stronger, faster, all those great attributes, or is it going to be a detriment that he hasn't been able to get into a real competitive situation over the last 12-plus, what, 16 months? It's really too bad. One thing we do know is Grushnikov is going to be powering up leading up to his draft, and you know he's got Built Bars on the go. Who doesn't? Built Bars, the protein bar that's built like a candy bar. And they come in so many different flavors as well. We recommend going on to BuiltBar.com and getting the Mix Box. That way, whenever Pillsy hits you with a pick of the week, you can go into your Mix Box and grab that exact same flavor and enjoy. We know Pillsy's been going for his bike ride. Just throws the uh, bike right in the back of the truck. And one thing he never forgets is Built Bar. What's in, uh, what's in your bag today, Pillsy? Well, in my bag today, I'm reaching for one of the best Built Bar flavors there is. It's cookies and cream. Who says you can't have a delicious tasting protein bar that's A, delicious, like I said, and good for you? It's Built Bar's way. And cookies and cream, I don't know about you guys, but that's always one of my go-to, whether it's ice cream, whether it's a candy bar. So why not get a good tasting cookies and cream bar that's healthy for you as well? So Try one today in your mixed box like Ross was talking about. Cookies and cream, Bilt Bar, that is Pillsy's pick of the day. Mm, delicious. Go to BiltBar.com and see all the great flavors and products available to you. And because you're a listener of Locked On Senators, you, you are entitled to 15% off on your next order. Just put in the promo code LOCKED15. It's Bilt Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. BiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order. Gil Martin here, host of the Locked On NHL podcast. Join me every Monday for the three biggest stories from across the NHL, including how newly traded players are fitting in around the league. Check out the Locked On NHL podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, Pilsy, the run of defensemen continues. Number 57 on the Send Central draft rankings with an average rank of 58.4. It's Anton Olsen from Malmo in the Swedish Hockey League. Does that sound familiar? Of course it does. Ottawa drafting Eric Engstrand, Olsen's teammate, last year in the fifth round. But safe to say Olsen will be off the board well before that round. Yeah, I, I think so. He seems like a prospect that a lot of guys are really interested in. And I'm uh, calling it right now, Pilsy. He's going to go in the late first round. Yeah, I can see that. And that's that's one of the notes I made is um, it feels like some of his attributes are, are great and I like them, but it doesn't make sense to draft him at pick 39 or 42 for the Sens, I think. Someone's going to take him before then, though. You know why? Because all the other outlets hate him. But Bob McKenzie and Craig Button have him at like 32 and 40. So, so that means teams like him. Exactly. I think that he's going to be a team who, a player who disappoints the fan base that he goes to. But a GM will look at him like a Cody Cease and be like, but he plays good minutes. He plays big minutes because he's like quietly effective. But I don't know about that. This is a one star for me. One star. Wow. One star. I, just, I don't know. He's not the style player, and he's going to be off the board before I'd be comfortable. I would, I would take him at 74 if I'm Ottawa, but not with, like you said, those two second rounders, and he's going to be way off the board by then. Yeah, exactly. So let's uh, – classic us. We're jumping ahead of ourselves, not giving some context here. Let's talk about him before we jump ahead to the conclusions. This, this guy's been in the Malmo system since 2017, so he's very comfortable there. Last season in the SHL, he had four assists in 39 games. So right off the top, you got to like that. It's a young kid playing defense in the SHL. That's impressive. Wheeler describes him as someone who's really good in transition and is comfortable moving the puck all four ways, you know, east, west, north, south. He can control the puck well. He has really good gap control when defenders are coming in on the rush. He's a good skater. He has good hockey IQ. And one of the elite prospects, uh, Swedish regional scouts, said that he is a high floor. So, like you said, that's the kind of pick where uh, GM is going to be like, I'm not taking a risk on this guy. I'm going to draft him. He's going to play decent minutes. He's not going to wow anyone, but he's also not going to disappoint anyone. So exactly. I'm just going to take a nice, safe pick. And the Sens don't really need that right now. It, it seems like he's a prospect who developed before his peers. Maybe he got a little bigger, a little stronger before. And now he just plays a smart – like it sounds like he plays a robotic game, right? Yeah. Like there's no creativity to him. He has a formula in his head, get the puck, move it up ice, go back defend like there's not there's no variables to his game or anything like that so he's a very safe pick so I'm with you I don't think he's a guy that the center should look at but I'll give him three stars because I think he he is a decent prospect and he has a lot of good attributes but he's going to be gone before the Sens can pick him and it just doesn't make sense here agreed now one thing that scouts will probably say when they look at him is when he played against his own age group or when he was younger the offense was there like even just as recently as this past season, he played seven games with Malmo's J20 team. So the same league, same level as Levi Marilinen, but the Swedish version and had four points in seven games going back to last year, 17 points in 26 games, but he's just surviving against men right now. So let's see how he continues to develop. But to me, this is the kind of player that a team who already has a culture set, who already has a, a top six that they really like, and maybe you can insert him in and play him with a veteran who kind of carries him a little bit. And I don't think that's what Ottawa needs right now. He's a left shot as well, which we didn't mention. And that's another kind of reason they're loaded. 
When like people even forget Johnny Tychonic, like would he be even a better prospect than him? Like for the Sens? I think so. At least he has some yeah. upside, right? Like there's that right. offensive upside that you can see isn't quite there. But Tychonic's outgoing. Yeah, yeah, he's an outgoing defenseman. Yeah, exactly. Like I think I think you're onto it here. Like uh, for for Anton Olson, he's the kind of guy if you're a GM that you've you've traded the farm to get rentals with, you restart your prospect exactly. pool with a guy like this. Let's put it this way: I'd prefer to have Tyler Clevin in my system, a guy who's a little oh, more yeah. physical with a little more high end, and I think Olson's going to go in that same range. Clevin was uh, 44th last year, so. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I'm looking forward to watching him develop since I roasted him before ever seeing him live, just watching highlights and him going tape to tape. It's just boring, like quiet, but boring hockey. And uh, that's fine. You need those types of players, but I think Ottawa's already stocked at the, at the cupboard at left defense that if you're going to take a swing for like an unreal upside left defenseman, sure. A project being later on in the draft, don't care, but for where this guy's going to go, it just doesn't make sense. So that's Anton Olsen. I'll just, before we move on, I'll let you know where everyone else had him. I mentioned Button at 32, Mackenzie at 42, Wheeler at 44, Pronman at 66, and then Ferrari at 92, McKean's 97, and the EP Draft Guide 98. Like, that's where I'd be comfortable with taking a guy like that. So Anton Olsen at 57 on our Sense Central draft rankings i told you it was defenseman pilsy we got another one here but for the first time today we've got a right shot defenseman on our hands coming in at 56 with an average ranking of 57.6 it's jack Barr. now Barr. uh now Barr is a cerebral player he's a smart man too heading to harvard and he had the opportunity coming out of minor hockey played with quinton byfield on that york simcoe express they were a wagon Went, got picked, I believe, second round in the OHL draft, but said, no, I'm going to go four years at St. Andrew's Prep School in Canada. That's where he decided to go, and he's gotten accepted into Harvard, was supposed to go last season right after he finished high school, but had some immigration issues. So, Pilsy, where does a player end up when they have a year to kill, quote-unquote? The Chicago Steel. Why not? Just a complete wagon of a developmental program. But he was asked to play a much different role there. A lot more defensive. Kill penalties. We don't need you to be the big offensive guy that you were at prep school. How do you think that that impacted his development? And what kind of player do you think he's going to end up with at the next level? I think it was a good thing for his development because, like you said, at prep school, he was just used to being a high-flying offensive The best player defenseman. on the ice every, exactly. every game, right? He's playing against guys who are going to be uh, real estate agents and lawyers and all that, right? So now he's going to get a real test, he, or he had a better test, still not pro hockey by any means, in Chicago. By the way, he was going to play as well when he was g- d- deciding after Harvard, the immigration issues, and I'm not sure. He ended up playing in Chicago, so I don't know what the – I mean, he ends up playing the States anyways, but he's going to play with Penticton in the BCHL. They don't get up and running this year, COVID, of course, and he ends up uh, having a great season with the Steel. Yeah, and good on him for finding a way to play hockey. I know that sounds funny, but, man, for some of these kids, like you got your agents scrambling just to get you on the ice with a team that actually has some impact. So, And I think it's interesting that he chose to go to prep school because that shows you where his mind was at, right? Like he wasn't like, I don't – no offense. I don't want an OHL college grad uh, education. The there. OHL Look, education? 
Yeah, I'm looking for something a little more so that I can get into a good school. And damn, did he get into a good school. Harvard University, not too bad from what I've heard. So the thing to consider there too is you're probably looking at a guy who's going to spend all four years in college, which I'm not saying is good or bad. That's just something you have to understand. So he's four years away from joining your franchise or your organization, if he even decides to do that. We know guys uh, that go to these prestigious schools sometimes like to hold out till their rights are disappeared and then they can sign wherever they want. But once again, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, Ross. This guy is a six foot two, 194 right, 194 pounds right shot defenseman. So right away that comes off the page for you. I think, and to go back to your original question, him playing more defense now has made him a much better two-way defender. I think before a lot of scouts would have said this guy's all offense and he kind of leaves a little bit to be desired on a defensive level. But now that he had that role in an upper competitive league where he had to defend better, it's really rounded out his game a lot more. And I think a lot of the knocks on this guy is he's a decent skater, but he doesn't have that acceleration. He doesn't have that agility. It's going to take him a little while to get those boots moving. And once he gets moving, he's all right. But for a defenseman that likes to join the rush and needs to get back to, uh, to help out his teammates, that can be tough for him to pivot and get back into position. So that's a little bit of a concern there. But we said he's a, he's a smart guy. Like his hockey IQ is great. He's a kind of guy and uh, McKean's hockey, this is a quote from them. He forces other players to react to him rather than let the game come to him. And that's great if you have a two-way defenseman because he can force the play up ice or he can stop and attack early if he needs to defend. They're as high on him as anybody. Well, well, more so at 24th overall on their final rankings. The highest otherwise is Tony Ferrari at 45th overall. And then you have Scott Wheeler at 53, Bobby Mack at 58. Scouting has him down at 77 in the EP draft guide at 64. So, by all accounts, he's a good skater, but how is his agility? Like stopping and starting, getting off his pivots, those kind of things are still question marks, but when he gets those long legs moving, he can fly up and down the ice. I saw him break the puck out and make his own zone entries, which you love to see when you're scouting defensemen. How can you turn a defensive situation into a potential offensive threat where you can facilitate and get guys involved around the net? And he, he does just that. He's going to enamor scouts, not only with his long reach, but his skating ability in straight lines. And he's a right shot defenseman. And teams value that. Say what you want about not caring whether it's a lefty righty on every pair, but teams do care. And I think for that reason, he's going to go higher than maybe you think he should, especially when you mentioned it, you're going to Harvard. That's not a one and done type thing. I'd say at least two years probably three I would say and, even at least three yeah well man maybe even four and then you lose his right so how much of a project is he and what's the worth is the question that NHL GMs are gonna have to ask before drafting Jack Barr yeah and I think that's where unfortunately if you're the Ottawa Senators that's a bit of a concern like I could see him going to Harvard for three four years having his rights disappear and then he can command that either he's going back to Chicago where he played with the steel maybe he liked it there he's staying in Boston because he loved being at Harvard or as you mentioned uh, before the show, he's going to his hometown team in Toronto because he's from oh. Newmarket. So that's that's where there would be some concern for me. But I would give him four stars uh, out of five for drafting because he's a right-hand shot defenseman with good size that has the offensive capabilities but still has a defensive mindset available. Like he, He's a great 
right-hand shot defenseman. And you know what? Sometimes the, the extra years is great because he's a guy that can, you can kind of store away for a while. And hopefully the Sens are going to enter a stage here where they're not collecting draft picks and they're relying on those guys they just drafted to develop and grow into their NHL system. And then you can get guys re-enter the prospect pool like Jack Barr when he's done uh, at Harvard. So it's an interesting one for me. I like him. Of all the four guys, I would say he's probably the guy I like the most. Ooh, I'm glad you ended that perfect segue as we remind you that at Send Central, we're putting out polls each and every day of which of the four players that we profiled would you most want the Sens to draft. Now, previously, we had just made them 24-hour polls, but now I'm going to just make them all until draft day, and they'll all end at the same time. Nice. I think, yeah, that'll be fun. Why not? And then when you have your vote, you'll be able to see the percentages, and it just gives more people time because I think the thread is really fun going through and each for each day we add the four guys so they, go check it out on twitter at send central and yesterday what did you think of the results it was shy Buyam, oliver kapanen benjamin goudreau and kirill kurasanov and the goalie benjamin goudreau is winning with 38 percent. they can't possibly want another goalie can we uh, hey, th- we're put in a tough spot here, Ross. A goalie-friendly show being like, what are you guys doing wanting a goalie and supporting a goalie? Credit to the Sens for leaning into this narrative and allowing our, our kind of motto to blossom by literally being a goalie-friendly organization. We can't count them as many as they come in. Yeah, we're not math guys, so counting past five really uh, puts, puts our head for a spin there. Do you know what I can count to? Let's hear four. And that's how many wins it'll take to get the Stanley cup. And Tampa's <laughs> already got half of them before I actually move on. Decent segue there though. Uh, the four that we profile today, we have at number 59, Brett Harrison at number 58, Artyom Grushnikov at number 57, Anton Olsen. And at number 56, Jack Barr. Okay. Pelzi Stanley cup finals are coming to Canada. And that just makes me smile. However, what doesn't is the fact there will only be 3,500 in attendance in Montreal. Real shame because you could really feel that atmosphere in Tampa with a full capacity crowd. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking about the Stanley Cup final here. Like the atmosphere is a big part of the whole experience. And I I think maybe the jump and... Again, I'm not a politician, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a health uh, professional, I don't have these stats, but it seems like the jump to, from 3,500 to 10,000 was a little much. You're, you're basically multiplying by three there. I think it would have been appropriate to maybe up it to 5,000. Well, I think that difference. would have been, yeah, something like that. And again, I don't know the stats, I don't know the data, but that just yeah. seemed more realistic to me. Disclaimer, we are not doctors or pretend <laughs> yeah. to be. What I will say, though, is there's 300,000 people shoulder to shoulder right outside. So you got to think with masking and everything, you could create a safe environment inside the Bell Center. I mean, it's, it's got to be safer than outside with the way that fans celebrated after uh, they won their last series. But anyways, it's going to be a great game tonight. The goaltending has been spectacular at both ends. And we saw what happened when... Uh, when Tampa gets their opportunity and what Montreal has to be wary of is they can't take any extra penalties than they would have otherwise, because even though they dominated on the shot clock, like still grade eight chances were in Tampa's favor. Uh, Mike Kelly, a favorite of the show. He's been a guest. He'll be back. Absolutely. 100%. His post game two tweet really summed it up. The shots on goal were 43, 23 for Montreal, but the grade A chances we're 5-1 for Tampa, 
and the score was then 3-1 Tampa. So Montreal needs to do a better job if they're going to be in this series at getting to those danger areas and making them count. Because right now, it's just kind of David versus Goliath was how we build it going in. And man, Goliath is having his way right now. Yeah, and and it's tough if you're the Canadians. Like, I think the storyline for game one was, all right, they beat us 5-1. We were in the game up until the third period, and we know that wasn't our best third period. So we can come back. Like, this is is okay. But then game two, you're looking, yeah, at the shots, and they tried a bunch of different things. They couldn't get those grade-A scoring chances like you're talking about. So now they're sitting there like, crap, we just threw everything we got at them, and we lost the 3-1 game. But I actually think a little bit different uh, mindset than you, Ross, because – Tampa Bay, their defense is so good. You're not gonna, you're just not gonna come across those great A scoring chances like you're used to. And Montreal doesn't have a superstar, let alone superstars that can just create plays out of nothing and create those chances. So if you're the Montreal Canadiens, just pepper Vasilevsky with shots. What do we say about the only two goals they scored, Ross? Double deflections off their own yeah. teammates and <laughs> fluke goals. You're not going to beat Vasilevsky unless you have a wide open net as a grade A opportunity. You're not going to beat him. So try to fool him. Try to get deflections through. Try to chip anything at the front of the net with chaos, with Perry, Gallagher, uh, big guys in front like that. That's what you have to do. So I think their motto is all right. It's just Vasilevsky's too good. What do you, I don't know what else to say. Secret weapon for Montreal. Dominic Ducharme has just stepped on the ice for the morning skate. He's back after testing positive for COVID during the Vegas series. He hasn't even stepped on the bench in the Stanley Cup final, and he'll have that opportunity tonight. No opportunity for Wes McCauley, everybody's favorite referee. He is apparently missing the Stanley Cup final because he does have COVID. So a stark reminder that the pandemic is uh, yet over, although everyone is working to get their way to double vaccinate. And then there's that two-week incubation period. And I'm pretty sure that's where the the Quebec authorities, they're like, we're so close, but like there, not enough people have had it 14 days ago. And w- is it worth ruining the progress we've made and all that? But just for people wondering where Wes McCauley is, because he's often known as the best referee in the National Hockey League. He definitely has the best calls, like when, he, when he's uh, doing on the mic after a review. So yeah, it's too bad that he's not able to make it in there, Pillsy, but it's still going to be a hell of a game. Let's get a prediction on our way out before we wrap up for the weekend. <laughs> next, time, next time we speak on Monday, although join us in Spotify Green Room tomorrow. Yep. We'll recap tomorrow's game. But on Monday's show, will the Montreal Canadiens be facing elimination and will the Stanley Cup potentially be handed out Monday night after game four? Clean sweep is what I'm asking you. Could it be possible? Well, Ross, I've got my shovel out. I've been digging myself deeper and deeper and deeper into this uh, whole Habs thing, which which is just terrible. Like I was, I was telling my girlfriend, like it's terrible cheering for the Habs and then them losing on you. Like that's just a double whammy. And I, I got to keep going with this. Like I can't climb myself out of this hole now. So I'm getting my shovel and right. hoping I'm gonna dig upwards here. Montreal is going to win tonight's game two one in overtime. Oh my god. I don't think anybody's going to follow you on that bet, but hey. They have to win one of the home games, right? You think it's going to be a clean, a clean sweep? I'm, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I think, yeah, it is. And, I mean, that would be great for the banter, right? It's like, oh, you guys got to the finals. How many wins? Because I know Ottawa, when we look back at that 2007 Stanley Cup final, we got dominated by a better team. There's no question about it. That team was just made to win. Timu Solani, Chris Pronger, Scott Niedermeyer, three Hall of Famers I can mention 
right off the tip of my tongue. And there was way more quality, like Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff, Dustin Penner, that line Jaguar. was ridiculous. Rob Niedermeyer, Sammy Paulson, and Travis Moen just shut down everybody they played, including Detroit the series before. Detroit goes on to the next two Stanley Cup final right after that. So the Ducks were just made to win that year. It sucks. But what the point I'm getting at is Ottawa still managed to win. And you know which game they won, Pilsy? Game three on home ice in front of their yeah. own fans. So the, don't underplay the value of playing at home. Although, again, 3,500 versus the 20,000 that packed. The, it's going to feel like 35,000, though. Don't forget that, Ross. I'm trying to think of what the Sens Arena was named in 2007. Was it still the Corral Center? Or was I think it so. I think place? it was the Corral Center, yeah. Krell Center was a classic. Oh, I can't wait to be back into that arena, Philzy. It's going to be uh, awesome. Hey, we're only 21 days from the draft, but next season's sneaking up fast as hell, and it'll just be even better once we get into full off-season mode. And you know where your one, number one source leading in to the off-season right here with Brandon Pillar. I'm Ross Levitan. Hope you enjoyed today's show. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.